Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. The Port of Duluth Superior, located at the western end of Lake Superior, is the largest freshwater seaport in North America. The port handles both domestic and international cargo flows through the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway, and it's well-connected to highway and rail services. Among the coldest cities in the continental United States, Duluth's port closes for shipping for three months each winter. To learn more about its unique role in logistics and the challenges it faces, we're talking with Deb DeLuca, who is the director of the Duluth Seaway Port Authority. Deb, I've really appreciated the, the time that you're spending with us this morning. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So tell us more about the port and the scale of the facilities, the key markets. Of, what's the, kind of your standard description? Well, you already took some of my, some of my standard description. We are the we are not only the largest freshwater port in the great uh, in the in North America in the, in the U.S. and in North America, but also the furthest inland uh, deep deep sea water shipping port in the nation. Uh, we are um, predominantly a bulk non-hazardous natural resources port. Uh, which means that we carry predominantly bulk cargoes, and think of those as cargoes that move through a, on a conveyor belt or through a chute um, rather than being lifted by cranes and, and forklifts. Um, so, um, you know, the number one cargo through our port is, is iron ore, and I'd like to tell you a little bit more about that, but iron ore and, um, uh, you know, and, and as well um, grain is our number four um, Coal is still our number two, and then limestone is our number is our number three. Uh, even though grain is our number four, it's our number one export. Um, and and then and, the, and these commodities move through uh, 21 terminals that are in the harbor. Uh, there's been shipping to the harbor since the late 1800s, and the Port Authority has only existed since the mid 1950s. Um, and so uh, we don't own those 21 terminals. We own uh, one unique terminal in the harbor. Uh, it's the one break bulk and general cargo terminal, so the one where you do get the cargo that's lifted by cranes um, from a maritime perspective, and then the others are the bulk carry the bulk terminals. We represent the interests of all the terminals in, in the harbor from a um, you know policy and advocacy perspective, and we uh, uh, we're sort of the hub of information for them. Um, but we don't have any regulatory or financial connection with them. But isn't that fairly typical of an of an international port that there's a, some kind of a port authority, but there are m- a multiple privately owned terminals? You know, it really varies. We like to say in the port industry that when you've seen one port, you've seen one port. Um, so it's not uncommon, but there are also ports that own all of the land and then don't operate the land, the, all the terminals, but but um, have lease holdings or operator agreements with each of them. So you have multiple players in the, in the game, typically, as, as I understand it. Absolutely. So tell it. I want maybe some a little bit more specifics. What's the channel depth that you provide to carriers? Right around 28 feet, 27, 28 feet, and that's not we. That's the the Corps of Engineers maintains that that channel depth throughout. Uh, 
it, it's between you know, right around 27 feet depth throughout the, you know, the, the, the channels throughout the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway shipping system and into the terminals in our harbor. So it's important what you just said that the Corps of Engineers does the uh, the channel maintenance. There's um, revenue generated in a harbor. It's called a harbor maintenance tax on on uh, cargoes that are that uh, move through ports nationwide, and the Great Lakes Saint Lawrence Seaway system gets a cut of that um, of the revenue that or the, I should say that that revenue goes to the Corps of Engineers to implement their operation and maintenance program, and a cut of that goes to the Great Lakes Saint Lawrence Seaway every year. And so, you, does the Corps of Engineers have an office? In or near your port? We do, yep. The Corps of Engineers does have a presence in Duluth, and they are a great partner of ours. We act as the, the sort of the local sponsor for their dredging activity, uh, and, um, and in other words, we work with them to help identify which, area they, which areas need dredging each year and then help find placement for that dredge material. And we own and operate the um, what we call the reuse facility. It used to be a contained disposal facility for the dredge materials in the harbor. The uh, uh, Talk about your, your number one uh, bulk cargo, iron ore. I love to talk about iron ore because um, it, this this kind of demonstrates what supply chains are all about, and what we we I think as a populace we forget that we all consume a lot of stuff in a lot of different forms every day. So I'm going to talk iron ore. Uh, the iron ore that moves through our port um, is it, the start off by saying the Great Lakes the Great Lakes are part of a, a very um, critical supply chain for steel making in this nation. Uh, so 80% of the iron ore that goes into what's known as first pour or virgin steel making comes out of um, the iron range in, in northern Minnesota. Uh, the other 20% comes out of the UP in Michigan. And, um, and, and the Minnesota iron ore moves through one of three ports on Lake Superior. Um, and, and then it moves through, so it moves on vessels to the steel making um, centers on the lower Great Lakes. So Chicago is one of those steelmaking centers, I think, isn't it? Or the Chicago Metro, uh, Gary, Indiana. Burns Harbor, you know, if you look at the states that are included, there's uh, Michigan, um, Indiana, Illinois, uh, I'm, boy, I'm missing some, Pennsylvania, you know, they're, they're Ohio inland from the, you know, they're, they're, so it represents, uh, did I mention Indiana? Yes. Yes. Um, it represents. So many, many jobs, you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of jobs in in those states. So all of that iron ore is coming from your territory, and, it, by, and it's it's uh, traveling by ship through your port. Every, yep, travels by ship. It's the most efficient and environmentally friendly way to move those heavy cargoes uh, that distance. If you think about it, um, it, it, we move, let's see, last, currently, like our, our total tonnage at the end of October for iron ore was... 16,600, 16,600,000 tons of, of iron ore. And that will, you know, and our, I should mention the total tonnage through our port is around 35 million tons of, of uh, cargo move through our port every year. And a significant proportion of that is, is iron ore. And this, your second most largest volume of, of, of bulk materials is coal. Is that for export or for domestic use? That generally, that in the, historically, that has stayed domestic uh, predominantly, and of course, that tonnage has been shrinking significantly over the past ten years, and will continue to shrink as the market demand lessens. Um, and 
uh, but most of that stays domestically. There's some that goes out overseas, and we don't have great um, statistics for that, but, there, but it, it, it does, some does move overseas. I should mention that that coal comes from the Powder River Basin in Wyoming and is a low-sulfur coal, and it, it has... It, the, its destination these days is predominantly in the Detroit area. So it's interesting when you describe that. It, uh, it's a surprise to me because Powder River, I thought a lot of Powder uh, River coal was going uh, by rail directly c- to consumer, but you're saying a lot of it comes to your port and goes out by water. Yeah, it gets railed to um, to the, it's the, it's the um, Midwest Energy Terminal on the superior side of the harbor. It was, and I think still is, the largest coal facility on the Great Lakes. And then, yes, gets shipped uh, to the east. So grain is the export product? The most important grain, the grain is our number one export. And uh, Durham and spring wheat make up the, the are the predominant uh, grains that are carried through our port. But we also have many others that move through our port. And it depends on the year how that's distributed. So where in the world is that going? Predominantly to Europe or other places? Uh, yeah, so number one area is, is uh, actually Italy and the and the um, north uh, the North Med or the the, the Mediterranean area. Uh, it, it's highly sought after. That spring and durum wheat is very high quality, and it's highly sought after for bread and pasta making. And in fact, if you see those blue boxes, I won't name brands. Uh, of uh, pasta on your shelves in the store, those uh, that's actually um, uh, wheat that's been sent over to Italy, made into pasta, and comes back to, to your, you know, to be on your grocery store shelves. Uh, interesting and very long supply chain. Are the ships different? Oh, I un- understand that you wouldn't use a ship for grain in one year and, and coal the next, but are physically the ships different that uh, are bound for international trade? Yes, yeah, we, we we roughly divide them into lakers, and those are the ships that stay on the Great Lakes. They can't get past the Welland Canal. The U.S. flagged lakers are are a thousand, you know, are, are cannot get past the Welland Canal. The longest ones are over a thousand feet. Uh, the Canadian lakers are, are differ slightly. They, they some it depends on the ship, but most of those can move into the um, St. Lawrence Seaway system, but not beyond that. They don't go out into the ocean. And then, and then the ocean-going ships are are smaller in order to fit through those locks and uh, and all the way out into the into the ocean and across and across the ocean. And you said the port has been around since the eighteen been active since the eighteen hundreds. If you look back at the history, what was the motivation? Were the how were the services different at the beginning? Uh, yeah, if you look back at the history of the port, I do like to say that really Duluth, uh, the Duluth, Duluth is here because of the shipping activity. You know, the con- that you see that so commonly, the confluence of water and land transportation systems. Um, and it, it, if it weren't for the port, we'd sort of be another Grand Marais, if you know Minnesota, which is a, a, a tourist-based town up the shore. Um, so you asked what was the predominant uh, lumber and then, and then iron ore. Were the the, the, mm. the first two uh, first two products that really drove um, shipping, but also grain, and of course that was domestic originally because it, it you couldn't get past the well you couldn't get past Niagara Falls area basically. So that's what the St. Lawrence Seaway did for us, I guess. Yeah, yes, it connects it connects uh, Lake Erie to Lake you know to Lake Ontario to the to the um, uh, to the St. Lawrence River. Okay. So you talked mo- mostly ab- ab- about um, outbound freight. Is is there a significant amount of, of um, inbound cargo in, in Duluth? 
Uh, yeah, the inbound cargo generally comes to, to the, the terminal that's owned and operated by the Port Authority, which is the uh, Clear Public Marine Terminal. Can I tell you a little bit about that? Please do. All right. So we, uh, although we mentioned that from a maritime perspective, we, we carry what's known as general or project cargo. And that you can think of that as the huge, heavy pieces of equipment that you get, need to get lifted with cranes. Uh, and so in general, that is uh, mining, manufacturing, power generation, wind energy cargoes that are, um, you know, uh, high value and, and heavy. <laughs> and they go to serve uh, the, the industries I just mentioned. Um, they, uh, they, so that's, that's sort of chunky in terms of how much we get every year because it just depends on what projects are going on in the area. So think of if there's a, a wind, uh, a, you know, a, a wind farm being built in, um, in North Dakota or Alberta, that, that, that could very well move through our terminal, but something that's being built out further west is going to move on the, through the Pacific Ocean, for instance. So, um, Let's see. So that's what we carry from a maritime perspective. A lot of that is what's known as oversized, overweight cargo. So if it gets moved onto a truck, uh, uh, um, it, it's going to be oversized, overweight freight load for highway. Um, we let's see. What should I add? We we um, as of last year, we added containers on water to the mix of cargo that we carry. And just this year, which is really a quick development, we now have a, regu- a, a regularly scheduled monthly. Um, uh, liner service between Antwerp, Belgium, and Duluth, uh, and that includes Cleveland as the other stop on the Great Lakes, uh, and that is provided by um, the Dutch carrier Spleethoff, and that's been a very exciting development. We have both containers and uh, project general cargo that co- that goes back and forth on that. So we are seeing, and in fact, that just started, as I said, the, this season, and we saw cargos um, move uh, both both incoming and outbound, uh, as far away as um, as the Pacific Northwest through this terminal. So it's going through your terminal, probably out by rail? Uh, some out by truck, some out by rail. Mm. Depends on what okay. it is. So that's a really that so Antwerp was one of the major ports in in northern Europe. That's a really interesting connection, and it's one it's a monthly service. It's a monthly service. That that first year it did it did nicely, and we're you know excited to see where that goes. I should tell you a little bit more about the rest of our terminal because, as you've mentioned, we are op- the, the, the COA is closed or, the, or we're, our port is open for maritime business, actually branded that Duluth Cargo Connect. So when you see that's really our, our brand, it's the way we're, we're um, marketed internationally. So when you see Duluth Cargo Connect, that's that working partnership. We own, maintain, and improve the assets of the terminal and the uh, operating agent, Lake Superior Warehousing, um, uh, operates those assets, and we work together to, to optimize. So that sounds, it sounds like uh, you've really in, insulated yourself from the, the vagaries of waterways shipping because you've got a, very much a multimodal logistics hub. Yes, and that, yes, and that has, you know, has this uh, sort of twofold ramifications. One is that that, that that evens out our revenue, or at least it keeps our revenue going through the year from a terminal operating perspective, but it also means that we're providing those supply chain solutions to our regional industries throughout the year. Yeah, that, so that, yeah, the, the, the value of the port grows because you have um, a variety of activities going on, a variety of in- investments in, in the modes. What's coming in the future? Uh, do you have plans for, for major projects? Well, we always, but uh, it may not surprise you, you know, we're an infrastructure asset heavy industry. So we always need to be planning ahead 
if, if, if even just from a maintenance standpoint, but we're always looking at how can we improve our services, how should we be expanding our services, what other opportunities are there for cargo diversity, which is why we added the containers and the and, and you know and um, and have expanded. And in fact, the, the container both on water but also land uh, the rail and truck cargo. Uh, containers over the past several years. So um, what else is coming? Well, the whole industry is looking at how, you know, how are we going to decarbonize, right? And that, that has a lot of uh, implications. Uh, it means there's going to be opportunities for other cargoes. So if you look at, uh, you know, we don't, no one knows, especially for maritime yet, what the final fuel solution is going to be. Um, and there's going to be interim fuel solutions or maybe one major in, interim fuel solution and a final fuel solution. Um, no one knows what that's going to be, but if it's going to be, for instance, hydrogen, where is the, you know, where are those um, uh, production facilities going to be? Uh, how is it going to get transported to all the places it needs to move? Is it going to move on water? So there's that possible opportunity. We're watching that. Um, and then, of course, we're trying, we're working to expand our container trade. And part of working to expand our container trade is working with other ports throughout the port authorities and ports throughout the Great Lakes, because the more um, facilities that can handle containers, that builds that critical mass of container um, traffic throughout the Great Lakes, which then benefits our region. It, it becomes a, more of a go-to for containers than, than historically the, the Great Lakes um, have been to date. Uh, and then, um, so you asked about projects. We are always planning our next infrastructure projects, which then you know, it raises the question, how are we going to fund it? And that involves grant funding. And um, and that means we're looking at two, you know, a couple of years ahead of the project, how are we going to, you know, applying for grants um, might take a couple tries at the big federal grants. And since there's so much infrastructure money out currently um, through the Jobs Act and the IRA, um you know that that's that's something that all ports are are actively doing. It's so a, so are you getting money from the from the um, infrastructure investment and jobs act? Well, we just unfortunately got bad news recently that we didn't get our port infrastructure development program grant from the uh, merit administration that we applied for in the spring. But um, we are actually just this week doing a debrief with that agency, and we'll be applying again in, in the uh, next round. Uh, we are also looking at applying for, we're not looking at, we are planning to apply for the port um, electrification program that's having its first ever um Funding cycle uh, happened later this or late winter, early spring. So this this, this would keep uh, ships on shore power when they're at birth. Uh, yeah, and, and decarbonize. You know, um, it, 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 this has been administered by the U.S. EPA, and it involves um, you know, zero emission equipment uh, and 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 the supporting infrastructure for that. So, Deb, it sounds like you're a busy person. There's a lot of things going on in your port, and it runs 12 months out of the year. I really appreciate your taking the time today to talk with us and to give us this education. Um, if I want to, can I come as a tourist and look over your port? Oh, you know, I will say people love to come and watch ships. So the answer is yes. And it, um it is actually a rather large tourist draw. The, 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 when you get when you are at the Duluth entry, there's I should mention there's two entries to the harbor: a Duluth entry and a Superior entry. 
Um, the superior entry is the natural entry, and the Duluth, but the Duluth entry has the very iconic Duluth lift bridge. Oh yes, the vertical lift bridge. Yes, and when you you can stand right next to that to, to the um, entry, and you know be very close to ships that come into the harbor, closer than you can in most other ports. So ship watchers, you know, there's a whole population of the you know of, of um, lovingly self-described boat nerds who um, are attracted to to this port, and they follow you know they follow it online. I actually know. Um, people in their 20s who met their best friends online as fellow boat nerds in their teens <laughs> who follow this. And so anyway, point is, it, yes, you can come and, and you can watch the ships move into the harbor. You can't tour the terminals when, you know, you can drive past them, but you can't, you cannot necessarily, uh, as when a ship's at birth, there's um, very, you know, there's um, security protocol that doesn't allow people to enter unless they're involved with a ship. Or, 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 off, or the offloading of that ship. Well, I'm going to put a visit to your port on my uh, bucket list. It sounds like a, a good way to learn more about the industry. Uh, Deb, thanks so much for spending the time with us today. Uh, you've given us a good education about the port of Duluth, and I wish you um, the best going forward. Thank you, and I again, I really appreciate appearing on your show, and um, and um, thanks so much. Well, we're glad you were with us. Have a good day. You too. Take right. care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us too. The Infrastructure Show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I am Professor Joseph Schofer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure than I.